Well, good morning, everyone. It is my absolute pleasure to worship with you this morning. If you don't know who I am, my name is Matt. I'm one of the pastors here, and um, it's, I'm, I'm very happy to be here. We're going to be in the book of John, John chapter 6. If you've been with us for a while, you know that we've been walking through the book of John, and um, the, the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, are all just biographies of Jesus. And so if you're here this morning and you don't really know much about Jesus, and you're Maybe you're a brand new Christian, maybe you're not a Christian at all, and um, maybe this is all very strange to you. The Gospel of John is the perfect place to start. Uh, The Gospel of John is just a biography of Jesus, and we've walked um, about a quarter of the way through, um, and then we're going to take a break after this week. So if you want to get to know Jesus, you're like, ah, I'm already behind, you have the whole summer to read up to John 6. So I just encourage you to get into that. Uh, John chapter 6, and um, what we've seen up until now in the last few weeks is that Jesus has just performed these miracles, that he has uh, divided bread, enough bread to feed 5,000 people, and that he has walked across uh, the stormy sea. And by doing these things, Jesus was indicating that he is starting and initiating a new exodus, a new exodus, that the, the redemptive work that Jesus does is to begin a new exodus. And we saw in the weeks leading up to this that this uh, kind of shows itself in some ways. And so what we saw two weeks ago is that God gives us salvation by giving us to Christ. That our, our salvation is wrapped up in the covenant of redemption that God has given Christ to us by giving us to Christ. And these two things God has wrought together. And therefore, the, the highest aim of salvation we saw last week is, is not merely that our sins are forgiven, although certainly that is contained in the gospel. It's not only that we would uh, walk holy lives, although certainly we should as Christians. Um, but the highest aim of the gospel is what he says in verse 56, that he would abide in us and we in him, that we would experience ongoing life and communion with Christ. And Jesus gets to the end of this, what has been a long synagogue sermon, and we see how all of this um, falls out in verses 60 through 71. So if you don't mind reading along with me as we uh, see what God has for us today. It says this, When many of his disciples heard it, they said, This is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, Do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe, for Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. And he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. After this, many of his disciples turned back, no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, Do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Uh, Jesus answered them, Did I not choose you, the twelve? And yet one of you is a devil. He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, 
one of the 12 was going to betray him. Father in heaven, right now we pray that you would prepare us for this word. Father, if we are restless, give us rest in him. If we are hungry, would you feed us with him? If we are thirsty, would you sate us with him? Father, if we're here today and we are on the verge of giving up, of throwing in the towel, would you restore us, as we sang just a minute ago? Father, I pray for some of those who aren't here this morning who I know will be listening to this. We think of the Kusmiters and... Uh, Father, we pray also for Luke Bilodeau as he's graduating, even right now at this moment. So thankful for them. We pray that for any of us who would hear this word, uh, whether right now or in, or in the time to come online, that you would uh, bless it and that it would bear fruit in our lives. We pray for these things in the name of your Son and by your Spirit. Amen. Pity. That is what the governor felt for this old man, pity. Here he was, a a Roman governor, having some of the, the might of the mightiest empire behind him with the power over life and death. And before him sat a man, an old man, more bone than flesh, few years left, wasted away by time. And the governor felt pity. And here he was, he wasn't even asking that anything change. All he was asking was that this old man would just say those simple words, Caesar is Lord. And he pleaded with the old man, what use is it to worship a God who is not before you right now? There are few years left in your life. He, 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 pr- he pried and encouraged him. There are few years. Just spend the rest of your lives worshiping Caesar and, and we'll let you go today. And many of you maybe this morning have felt much like Polycarp of Smyrna did. Maybe you're here this morning. You feel that way this morning. Maybe you feel like throwing in the towel. Maybe you feel like giving up. Maybe you feel like the pressures and the difficulties of following Christ are too much. Maybe you're here this morning and you have been hurt by the church. And someone that you trusted, someone that you cared about has wounded you deeply. And those who claim the name of Christ seem to bear more of the marks of the world than the marks of the Creator on them. And you're wondering, why not just give up? Why not just give up? This is the the question that was before the disciples today. Why not turn back? Why not give up? With this word that Jesus has just spoken to them, a taxing word, a difficult word, that he has heaped difficulty upon difficulty upon difficulty, the question of why not just give up hangs over this passage. Maybe it hangs over you today, or maybe it will hang over you tomorrow. And that's the question we're going to concern ourselves with this morning. To get there, I want to ask two questions, two questions. What is it that Jesus is saying? 
what Jesus, what is this hard word? What is this hard saying that the disciples are identifying? What, what is so hard about this? And then why not just turn back? Why not just give up? As we'll see that, that Jesus has an, an answer for us with those things. Jesus, this story starts out with the disciples who've listened to what Jesus has already said for the past 59 verses, asking, who can listen to this? Who can stand this? Why, why would I spend my effort and time and energy and emotion believing this? And Jesus is, is of almost no help because he has just already said up to this point, uh, I am, uh, that God will give salvation through me to all of you and he'll give, he's already given you to me. He's already said those things and he's already said, I'm going to die for your sins on the cross. And he's, he's already said that I will raise you up on the last day. And he's already said that the goal of the Christian life is that you have an ongoing intimate relationship with me that, that you experience daily in, out, in, out communion with me and I with you, that you would abide in me and I with you. And by the way, this all sounds a heck of a lot like cannibalism. And they say, this is a hard saying. Very understandable. And Jesus is of almost no help about this. Jesus, you can almost see the smirk on his face. He says, do you take offense at this? That, That word for offense, by the way, is the Greek word scandalize. Are you scandalized by this? Does this bother you? He says, if you think that's bad, listen to this. Verse 62, he says, What if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? Of course, there Jesus is referring to the book of Daniel, which prophesies that the Son of Man is going to come. Says this in Daniel 7, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like the Son of Man. And he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him, and to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. What Jesus is saying, I'm that guy. That guy that's going to ascend and rule and have an everlasting kingdom that will never fade, never break, that it will administer justice and dominion and a glory and all people's nations and languages should serve him. You think what I've said is hard before. Wait until you see what's coming, what the implications are. And then as if that, they don't even have time to catch their breath before he says in verse 63, it is the spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words I have spoken to you, the things that I'm saying are the spirit and life. In other words, what he is saying, he's saying that when I speak, the spirit of God that gives life comes forth. You know who can claim that? God. You know who else can claim that? Nobody. When Jesus says, my words send forth the Spirit and my words give life, he is claiming the identity of the God who said in Genesis 1, let there be. And then he looks at those who we would feel maybe some sympathy towards. He says, but there are some of you who do not believe. And, And you can even... See this in verse, he goes on to say, For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. Jesus is saying what he's saying, knowing that what he's saying will not convince them, and he's not making it any easier. 
In fact, later on in verses 70 and 71, he says, Did I not choose you, the twelve, and yet one of you is a devil? He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. And even in verse 66, Jesus knows that many of his disciples will turn back and no longer walk with him. Jesus is not making this. He knows exactly what he's saying. He knows exactly how hard it's going to be. But if it wasn't hard enough, he turns to those who do believe in verse 65 and says, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted to him by the Father. And again, he'll say in verse 70, did I not choose you? Not, you did not choose me, I chose you, he'll later say. In other words, some of you are still hanging on to your faith right now. Some of you are still believing. Some of you are, are, are not, haven't yet thrown in the towel. And those of you who do still believe, you only believe because I told you you could believe. You don't believe in and of your own resources. You don't believe because you're really smart or intelligent. You believe because it's been given to you. This is a hard saying. What does Jesus say? Jesus says a hard saying. And it's very understandable in verse 66 that many of his disciples turn back and no longer walk with him. Maybe some of you are here today and maybe you're wondering, you're teetering, you're on the edge and you're thinking, maybe I won't walk with him anymore. Maybe maybe I will no longer hold on to my... Maybe Maybe he's talking to me. Maybe it's time for me to throw in the towel. This is a lot of work to believe, and Jesus is not making it any easier for me today. And so the question is, why not just give up? Why not throw in the towel? It says in verse 67, So Jesus said to the twelve, Do you want to go away as well? Listen to the pathos of that question, the ethos of that question. He doesn't say, are you going away? He says, do you want, do you desire? Are you motivated? Is this something that you're seeking? Do you want to go away as well? Do you long to leave? Do you wish that you could just go? Listen to what Peter says in verse 68. My next door in my office, my grandfather's Bible sitting on the one of the table stands that I have in there. And these verses 68 and 69 are one of the few things he underlined. It says this, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God says, we've believed and we've come to know. Now, when he says believe and come to know, he is saying, not saying that we have come to know about you. He's not saying that we've come to know something similar. He's not saying that we've learned some facts. He's, he's not saying that we have come to, 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 to understand some things that happen to be true about you. If you were to go online and you were to Google me, you uh, might, for some reason, if you had nothing else to do with your life, you might find my Facebook profile and you might find some, some facts about me. You probably would find too many Augustine quotes. 
you might find out some things that happen to be true about me, but that doesn't mean that you know me. That doesn't mean, there's a difference between knowing about and knowing. And what Peter is not saying is, I found out some things that are really true about you. I found out some facts. Certainly, he has learned a lot, but the kind of knowledge he's talking about here is deeper. The kind of knowledge that he's talking about here penetrates to the connection of bone and marrow, of sinew and muscle. He's saying, he's not saying, I, I, I looked at your Facebook profile and I found out you're all the things that you like. He's saying, we've come to believe and to know. Not things about you, but to know you. And he says two things. He says, we've come to know that you are the Holy One of God. That you are the Holy One of God. Later on in John 10, 36, the, John will tell us that the Father has sanctified or made holy or consecrated Jesus himself. And later on in John 12, 41, John will tell us that Isaiah, as the prophet Isaiah in the Old Testament, said these things because he saw his glory. So the Holy One, the Jesus, the one who's consecrated, the one who's sanctified by the Father, has the glory that Isaiah saw. What is the glory that Isaiah saw? Well, if you've read through the book of Isaiah, you know that the first five chapters are a little bit rough reading. But then you get to chapter 6. And in chapter 6, Isaiah has this vision of the throne room of God. And he's transported up and he sees in the throne room the one seated on the throne. And standing all around the throne room are these angels. And they're covering their face and they're covering their feet. And they're crying one to another from eternity to eternity. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And Isaiah, whose job it is to speak the word of God, says, I am a man of unclean lips, and I am from a people of unclean lips, and God atones for his sin. And if you were paying attention in our readings, you'll you notice, for example, in what we read in Isaiah 29, that Isaiah's favorite phrase to refer to God is the Holy One. And what Peter is saying is, I got a whiff. There's the scent of eternity. There's the, the scent of glory that whatever you are, whoever you are, Jesus, you are that Holy One. You are the Holy One of God. And therefore you have the words of eternal life that your words give life, that you can say, let there be and there is. In all four Gospels, you, you have this remarkable confession that Peter makes. And in the Gospel of John, we see that Peter's confession is filled with, with pathos. He says, we, I've seen the glory. You are the Holy One of God. I, I see what Isaiah said. I can't explain, but I know that it's you. And I know that you have the words of eternal life that when you speak, there's life and there's eternity there. And therefore, Peter says, Lord, to whom shall we go? Lord, to whom shall we go? When you have been before the throne, 
When you have found rest for your soul, when your stomach has been filled and your thirst has been sated, when you've been through the desert, when you've been through the valley of the shadow of death, when you've walked through the Red Sea, when, when, when you've come to the mountain, when you've seen the walls of Jericho tumble down, when you have been in the fire, how can you go anywhere else? Where will you go? When all that is wrong is made right, when though you waste away, you're being renewed inwardly day by day. When you live in a world where nothing makes sense and he makes sense, where will you go? Christians, now that we have come to see the Holy One of God, now that we have heard the words of eternal life, There's nowhere else where we can go. Nothing else will satisfy us anymore. The world is ruined for us. Because nothing can compare with that taste, that scent, that width of glory. Why not throw in the towel? Why not turn back? Why not give up? Because nothing can compare with the matchless glory of Christ. And to see him, to have him, to be found in him, even though everything else wastes wastes away, is to have enough. Christian, Now that you have seen the Holy One of God, where else would you go? Maybe you're here this morning, and maybe maybe you'd even have called yourself a Christian, but the words that Peter says here seem so foreign to you. They seem so strange to you. You would say, that does not describe my experience of faith. Can I just gently, pastorally ask, do you have true faith? Does this describe what it looks like to know Jesus for you? this experience of standing before the throne, of of seeing the glory of God, is this what it means for you to walk with Christ? A 2 Corinthians 13.5 would warn us and admonish us to say, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless, indeed, you fail to meet the test. Question of eternal importance before you this morning is this. Can you say with Peter, we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God? In other words, are you... 
in this story, do you most identify with the 12 who stay with Christ? Or with one of the disciples who turns back? And the good news before you this morning is that you can know God this way. In fact, actually, God wants you to know him this way. God wants you to abide in him and he in you. God wants you to have this intimate, ongoing, daily walk with him. God wants you to have this relationship with Christ. God wants you to to know him. He wants you to come to know that he is the Holy One of God. And maybe you're here this morning and you're like, I, I mean, maybe, do I really want that kind of relationship with Christ? And I would say he's worth it. It's worth it. We also see here, we also see here that Jesus, and this is a good model for us, is being a very, very honest evangelist. Jesus is being a very, very honest evangelist. Jesus is being someone who is upfront and clear and honest about the obligations of following Christ. Jesus is not in this to win friends and influence people. And we see this pattern again and again and again throughout the Bible. Jesus will say in the Gospel of Mark, You want to follow me? Go take up your cross. You want to follow me? Go take up your cross. Paul will say, you want to know Jesus? Well, you better be willing to be united with him in his death. Jesus will actually tell the, uh, tell the sons of Andrew he'll, uh, or of Simon, he'll actually say to them, if you want to follow me, you have to go through the baptism of blood with me. Jesus tells the rich young ruler to follow him before he can to to sell all that he has and give it to the poor. And maybe you're here this morning and you're thinking, why would anybody do that? Because he's worth it. To have him and have nothing else in the world is to have everything. And to have everything and to not have him is to have nothing. It's worth it to be one of the few that is left standing with Christ, though you have no home, though you have no hearth, though you have no no shelter, than it is to be one of those who would go back from following him. Does this describe you? Does this describe you? As Christians, I think we need to reckon with this passage in a few more ways. So let me say this. One of the implications of this passage is that Jesus is king. Jesus is king. In verse 62, when he says, the son of man will ascend to where he was before, he's saying, I will come into my kingdom. I will be anointed and inaugurated above all things. I will sit on my throne. I will rule and reign over all things. He is a good king. He is a king worth having. But he is a king. And he demands our loyalty and our fealty and our obedience. 
You cannot have Jesus as Savior and not as King. That if you want to follow Him as a Christian, you must let Him lead your life. Even if you don't understand His words, even if you don't understand why these things are, sometimes God just asks us to obey. Uh, I would also say this, this passage teaches that His words are life. His words are life, which means a number of things. It means, Christians, we must not delude ourselves into thinking that we can have life in any other way than through His Word. We must not delude ourselves into thinking that true life and true joy can be had in any other way. Which means that we all must dedicate ourselves to knowing Christ through His Word and understanding Him and being intimate with it. Now, what I'm not saying is that all of us ought to commit ourselves to a monastery and spend the rest of our lives taking a vow of silence. For some of us, that might be good. But but I'm not saying that that is what God calls all of us to do. What I am saying is all of us must be committed to God's Word. See, God's Word is the bread of life. It's, it's, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of the living God. And God's Word is also the seasoning that we sprinkle over all the other things in our life to give it the taste of glory. So the, our marriages are better with God's Word than without. And child-rearing is better with God's Word than without. And education is better with God's Word than without. And in our vocation, and our jobs, and uh, owning homes, all these things are better with God's Word. I'm not saying to divorce yourselves from those things. I'm saying to bring God's Word into those things. So let God's word saturate your whole life to have that kind of communion and intimacy with Jesus. I would also say this, this passage would encourage us and teach us to seek the purity of the church. To seek the purity of the church. What we see in this passage is that Jesus is gently, carefully, seeking the purity of his church. He's being honest with his expectations for his followers, recognizing that not all will pick up the slack. Not all are going to follow him. Not all are going to commit themselves to him. And Jesus is committed to seeking the purity of his church, which means as Christians, we need to be committed to seeking the purity of his church as well. The Gospel of Matthew says this, he put another parable before them saying, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good feed, good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed wheats among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds, weeds appeared also. So there's this field and that's the church and it has both wheat and weeds in it. And the servants of his master, of the master of the house of the, came and said to him, Master, Did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? Every church, every the church of all ages will have wheat and weeds. And he said to them, an enemy has done this. So the servants said to him, then do you want us to go and gather them? They said, no, lest in gathering the weeds you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at harvest time, I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned but gather the wheat into the barn. That the church needs to be about the business of being pure. 
We, we need to be about the business, recognizing that uh, until glory, that the church will always be mixed, but to the best degree that we can, we need to be a church that is pure. A church where those who are in the church are, are those who believe in the gospel. That the gospel ought to be the test for membership in the local church. That someone knows and believes in it and trusts in it. That's what we want with church members. And maybe you're here this morning and you're saying, I, I would love to become a church member. Talk to me afterwards. we got a membership meeting coming up. Maybe you're here today and you're saying, I don't, know. I don't know if I want to be a member. I don't know if I can take on the obligations of this. I don't know if I can believe in Christ. Well, we are so happy to have you worshiping with us this morning. We want you to be here. We want you to believe in Jesus. We want you to be able to say with Peter, we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. And I would hope that you have not taken what I've just said to say, we don't want you here. We, of course, want you here. We want people who are serious about where they're at with Jesus. And we want to encourage people to come and draw closer and closer to Christ. If I could say one more thing. This is not a joy and a satisfaction that you have to wait until everything in your life makes sense to take hold of. I think sometimes we think, if I can just get my my marriage fixed, and I can just get my kids under control, and I can just get the job that I want, and I can just get the house that I want, and I can just get everything else, then I can seek Jesus. Jesus is the one that we ought to seek first. Jesus is the one that we ought to seek who can help us make sense of those things when those things don't make sense. There, There was a man... A story. This is a story I heard a long time ago in a sermon when I was a kid. There was a man who was walking through the desert, and he hadn't drinking water in days, and he seemed like he was on the edge of uh, of wasting away and uh, of dying of thirst. And he comes to this well, and at the well, there's there, there's he tries to pump it, and no water will come out. And he finds, he sees underneath there's some, some, some glass covered by sand, and he wipes away the sand, and he sees that the, in, in the middle of the sand this bottle of water. It's old, and it's bitter, and it's brackish. And then he sees instructions printed on the water that if he'll pour, the, the well has to be wet before it can produce water. And if he'll pour the water that's there down into the well, then the well will produce good, fresh living water. And the decision was before the man. Would he trust the words that were printed? Or would he take that water which could not satisfy? Well, he decided that he was going to do it, and he poured all, he said, I don't have anything else left to lose. He poured all the water into the well, and he pumped, and he pumped, and he pumped. And the water flowed, and he turned the bottle over to write in a message, and he saw that it had already been written there a thousand times. It really works. Christian, if you're going through suffering, if you're going through hardship, if you feel like you are walking through the valley of the shadow of death, this joy, this knowledge, this relationship with Jesus is not waiting for you on the other side. It's waiting for you in the pit, in the bottom of the valley, And it really works. The Roman governor stood over over Polycarp and pleaded with him and begged him that he would recant his faith, otherwise lose his life. And after hours of pleading, Polycarp finally looked up at the man 
said, for more than 80 years, my Savior has not let me down. How can I fail him in this hour? Father in heaven, you have not let us down. You have not given up on us today. You have given us your son that we might know the words of eternal life. That our souls might be filled. Father in heaven, I pray for any who are here this morning who who don't know you, who've never walked with you. Maybe they're realizing that for the first time this morning. Father, would you give them the courage to step out in faith? to grab hold of your son, to believe in him, to to receive him as their Lord and Savior. For he is a good king. We, We thank you for those who are here this morning who are going through difficulty and trial. We thank you that you are not waiting for everything else in their life to make sense before you minister to them. We thank you that scripture says you are the God of all mercy and the Father of all comfort. So Father, I pray for us now, that we would know your comfort, that we would know your mercy, that we would be able to say wholeheartedly along with Peter, Lord, to whom else shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have come to know and believe that you are the Holy One of God. Amen.